0: I love this diner. I love it so much. I have this connection to it that's sometimes hard to put into words, because there's so much tied to it. My parents first brought me here when I was three years old. I've eaten here with my grandparents and with so many of my relatives, some of which are no longer with us. Some of my earliest and most favorite memories stem from this silly little restaurant this diner brings me back to those early, wonderful years. This might sound crazy, but the food here was unlike almost anything I've ever had anywhere else. The meatloaf tasted homemade, but it had a freshness to it, like it was a wild concoction at the hands of a master. The breakfast felt like more than mere breakfast. Even the turkey platter was unique. The gravy wasn't that electric yellow that other diners served. This was authentic, seasoned in a way that few would try. And yet somehow, it worked. The owner was also the main cook. And he got the staff to buy into his style of cooking and his idea of what a restaurant could be. When you ate there, you felt like you were getting more than a meal. And every meal was an experience. As I got older, I started meeting friends here. As the menu grew, so did we. We'd start at the top of one page of the menu and would try a different dish at each sitting. We'd sit for hours and would talk about what stirred our souls, what impacted us creatively. And we'd bubble with anticipation for what the future held. These were exciting times. And in the decades since, I've gotten to know many of the patrons at this diner. And most are around my age and I've become friends with so many of them. It might sound strange to say, but for many, the diner is like a second home. And for the past few years, we've had meals together, sharing stories from our lives, learning about one another, talking about the past, still excited for the future. Those friendships that developed from a simple love of one restaurant's food and the meals introduced to us during our childhoods carry us today. It's why we keep coming back. The original owner is sadly no longer with us. He didn't pass away. He's still here. But he sold the diner about a decade ago. We're fortunate that he shared his recipes with a few of the chefs he hired in his final years at the diner. And he taught them well. The new owners? I have my thoughts about them. I'll be kind, though. They're not what I was expecting when it comes to taking over a beloved restaurant. They have their own plan for running the establishment, and some of their ideas and changes have worked well. They've implemented a series of new dishes. I really enjoy a few. The others just lack the flavor of many of the dishes the original owner created. Some feel like copies, but they're missing something. I had such high hopes. They seem so excited to take over something so special, but I don't think they ever really understood the restaurant business. Anyway, one of the chefs hired by the original owner, he's sort of the guy here, has been elevated to head chef. I didn't realize a diner had a head chef, but many of us were happy to hear the news. He just gets it. He has a touch and a way to make a dish taste as magical as you remember, but at the same time, like one you've never had before. Before the pandemic, he and another cook put together a series of meals that put the restaurant on the map again. I mean, for a long time, it was really hard to get a table. The lines were out the door. They experimented with a number of old-world dishes, but added elements like spices and styles that the diner never carried. It was really nice to see the diner brimming with customers on a daily basis. A few years ago, the owners added another chef. He has a different style of cooking, but it worked. I'll never forget the special he made in the summer of 2022. Andouille, which is a type of sausage, over electric blue noodles. Pretty crazy for a diner, right? But it worked. The first time I had it, by the end of the meal... I was almost in tears. I'm not exaggerating. It was that good and that memorable. It was everything I wanted in a dinner, and it reminded me of some of the best meals I had as a child and as a young adult. The second time eating it was just as delicious as the first. A friend of mine ordered it so many times, he must have the record at the diner. Sadly, though, it was only a special. But apparently, the chef is bringing it back next year. But other than that, the newer dishes fall a bit flat. Okay, I'm trying to be a little diplomatic here because I love the restaurant. You've probably heard me say that enough already. I I love trying new things, and I like the standards. That's why I and a lot of people in my area started going. Our parents took us, and it's why many started eating there with their children. But the quality of the food is inconsistent now. Anytime I go to a restaurant, I never judge it on one meal. Because no chef is perfect, and one dish cannot speak for an entire menu. And especially if the menu has delivered such great entrees, appetizers, and desserts for so long. But it's funny. Over these recent meals, one of the topics my friends and I seem to talk about is what we once loved about the diner. The hearty breakfasts, the unforgettable lunches, the near-perfect dinners, the good old days. Can you imagine being nostalgic for food, even for dishes from only a few years ago? My friends also have noticed that the quality has diminished, and we're baffled by some of the things the owners have done over the decade. Heavy use of salt and spices to hide the fact that they're using cheaper cuts of meat, Fewer sides offered, smaller portions, and the food often looks better than it tastes. And on top of that, they seem to mix heavy doses of sugar into their gravies and sauces, which throws off the taste completely. Good food doesn't need to be dressed up. In the hands of a competent chef, a meal can stand on its own, if the ingredients are right, and complement one another. I think the head chef is aware of this, but I don't know if he can really fix anything. I'm seeing more customers stopping in for a cup of coffee or taking home a container of soup. But they're not coming back as often. They're not sticking around for meals. They're still coming, though, but not like they did. And I get it. It's what we know. It's what we love. But it doesn't feel the same. But that's right now. Apparently, the head chef and some of the other chefs are reworking the menu a bit but that's just what I've heard. It's a delicate balance, maintaining the staples and introducing new and exciting dishes. If I'm being honest, right now, the diner doesn't really feel as special as it once did. The facade has changed, the interior was updated, and I find it takes a little longer to remember how good it actually was, or why it was so good. I still get the meatloaf from time to time because it's one of the few items that hasn't changed. And it makes me think about my family, my friends, and the times I've sat in this booth near this window, marveling the wonders of the food around me and the possibilities of the world waiting just outside. But hey, listen to me rambling on and on about a diner that I love and am frustrated by in the same breath. And this probably sounds ridiculous to you. Who really cares that much about a restaurant? I know, I know. But as I said, I love it. Anyway, this is supposed to be a podcast about the state of Star Wars and collecting. This is the perfect time to see where the franchise stands and how the collecting community is faring in the first month of the new year. This is the messiness of a franchise in search for an identity, and the hope that a community brings. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and production. It's a trap! Yes, Not master. <laughs> well, we're going to have The more you tighten your grip, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi, like my father. The Force will be with you. Always. Last March, as our president delivered the annual State of the Union Address, I thought it would be a good idea to do an episode examining the state of Star Wars and collecting. I had planned to do a similar episode around the same time this year, once the first few months began to carve out a visible roadmap. But to be very honest, I couldn't wait that long. In December, I created a list of topics I wanted to tackle over these next 12 months, and I had most of January's episodes plotted. But the past three weeks have been wild, and at times frustrating and unsettling. News arose from various areas of the hobby, concerning both the franchise and the fandom. A possible film centering around the sequel trilogy heroine Rey has been a point of contention among fans, for a variety of reasons. An all-new film based on an established television series popped up out of nowhere, to little fanfare and a lot of confusion. Discussions within the community over controversial topics have been reminiscent of the debates after the last Jedi premiered in 2017 or during the 2020 American presidential election. And I hit a bit of a block. This time, it wasn't a writer's block or a creative block. It was a content block. There were some days that beginning work on a podcast episode felt like trying to convince others to root for a team whose members didn't bother to show up for the game or for those who showed up to sell jerseys instead of making any sort of mark on the field. Other days felt like walking through a war zone. The venom spewed online and on social media was unnerving at times. It was like watching someone walk into a crowd, heaving a Molotov cocktail, and walking away as chaos abounded. Rational critiques or concerns were met with a fandom desperate to not let their idols be toppled, and the pile-ups continued. An anxious energy filled these forums with people ready to swing at others for any reason, and sometimes swinging but not really knowing why. There was a sense of wandering, searching for stability within a fandom, and bumping into others along the way. And while social media is infamous for this type of behavior, these weeks have felt different. Star Wars is a bit of a mess right now. Again, I'm being kind with my words here. At times, it appears to be a rudderless ship, and unlike its sister company Marvel, Lucasfilm has shared very little of its plans for the next few years, and the current leadership seems to be throwing ideas against a wall without having many stick. The future is murky at best, and an overall weariness has set in among fans. The critiques are many, the defenders are aggressive, the content and events are largely missing and the calendar looks questionable. Sales of the toys have stalled. Interest among a larger audience has dipped, along with the values of many of the collectibles. And yet, Star Wars has always been a beacon of hope for me and for many others. And this January has offered glimpses of that hope within the community. The Kivecast, the original Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast, is returning after an 18-month hiatus. The collecting groups that slowed down over the past year or two are reinventing themselves, and in the process are finding new ways to be connective hubs within our hobby again. The lack of content is pushing fans to explore some of the older shows and books from a galaxy far, far away. The end of the pandemic-era collectible frenzy has caused collectors to examine and appreciate what they own and how those pieces connect to the history of Star Wars and its memorabilia. After all, moments of boredom and being unsatisfied with the current state is a great catalyst for new ideas, new directions, and new adventures. And all of this can easily happen within the boundless space of the Star Wars universe. 2024 will be a fascinating year. Most of it is uncertain, as Lucasfilm attempts to form this decade's Star Wars stories into a coherent tale. And more so than any other year this decade, 2024 will be largely shaped by Star Wars fans and collectors, like you and me. It will be up to us to decide what the fandom is and what it creates. We will host meetups wherever we can, online and in person. We will stoke the flames of a fandom to burn until the next show or film ignites the collective world again. We will be the reason others feel a connection to the content, to the figures, to the prototypes, and to the community. We will ultimately decide if it's worth continuing as Star Wars fans. We will ultimately decide the franchise's fate. And a new era may begin this year. And it begins with us. This isn't some puffed-up pep rally speech. And the episode isn't a gloom and doom report either. My aim is to address the state of Star Wars and collecting in a realistic and honest way. And I hope to highlight the good points and the points of hope within the fandom and our community as well. So if you're feeling a little frustrated, or a little lost, or a little exhausted, or a little hopeful, my goal is to shed some light on the situation. I want you to be excited for this year, as we welcome two new series, return to toy shows and collectors' homes, and converse with those who share our love and passion for Star Wars and collecting. Like our own world, the galaxy Star Wars inhabits offers endless possibilities. So whether you're walking back through the past, revisiting the older Star Wars stories, or trekking in the present, taking in the new and collector conversations of the day, or you're traversing toward the future, awaiting the upcoming reveals, series, and moments a year brings... We're here together, so let's look at the current state of Star Wars and Collecting. Star Wars has always been defined by its films. The trilogies have been the anchors of an era for each new generation. And the films have been more than mere films. They've been communal events on an epic scale, delivering a mountain of anticipation leading up to the premiere and creating mountains of conversations around them in the following years. The last Star Wars film to grace theaters was in 2019, Episode 9's Rise of Skywalker sealed the sequel trilogy and concluded the Skywalker saga. And once Rey announced she was a Skywalker, and the Force ghosts of Luke and Leia wished her well on her next adventure, audiences largely shrugged, and left theaters hoping for something better with the next Lucasfilm movie. Four years have passed since the release of Rise of Skywalker, and in that time, Lucasfilm has announced a number of new projects. During the Disney Investors presentation in 2020, director Patty Jenkins announced she would be writing and heading a standalone film titled Rogue Squadron, which would introduce a new generation of starfighter pilots to the galaxy. Rogue Squadron was given a Christmas 2023 release date, but the film never materialized. And the same could be said for the other films Lucasfilm has announced, but has since disappeared. The Ryan Johnson trilogy... The Benioff and Weiss Project, The Kevin Feige Film, The Taika Waititi Movie. Last year, during the Lucasfilm presentation kicking off Celebration London, Lucasfilm's president, Kathleen Kennedy, announced three new films instead. James Mangold would be writing and directing a tale focusing on the origin of the Jedi. Dave Filoni's project would be a culmination of the various Disney Plus series, like Ahsoka and The Mandalorian. And Daisy Ridley and director Charmaine obeid Chinoy surprised the audience with the announcement of a new film focusing on Rey rebuilding the Jedi Order in the decades after the events of the sequel trilogy. The chance of any of these films making it into production, especially with the writers and directors attached, are at best 50-50. Almost every Star Wars film and series produced over the past decade has had a different director, writer, or showrunner at some point. Films are massive, complex projects, and it is a miracle every time one makes it to the silver screen. But Lucasfilm's track record and process provide little confidence. Lucasfilm's ineptitude is even more glaringly evident when compared to the approach taken by its sister company, Marvel. Over the past 15 years, Marvel has separated storytelling into phases. Heading into the next phase or two, Kevin Feige and the Marvel leadership mapped out and shared the planned films and their approximate release schedules with the fan base. And as with any large franchise, there were hiccups and changes made along the way. A specific film may be pushed back or retooled or dropped altogether. And some of the content worked really well. And others struggled to gain an audience. But fans understood Marvel's plan for superhero storytelling. They could see where these stories were heading. They knew which films were on the horizon. And they had an idea of when to expect them. When it comes to Star Wars films, Lucasfilm seems directionless and desperate for answers they don't yet have. The company's premature announcements and subsequent cancellations have created frustrations within the fan base, And those frustrations logically lead to an attitude of, "...I'll believe it when it actually happens." dampening a lot of the excitement and anticipation that previous Star Wars films experienced. It's hard to get excited about a project that could disappear or change at any moment. And while the Ray film seems to be the next upcoming release, a lot of fans are questioning why. From a strictly business-minded perspective, if your goal is to get the widest possible audience back into theaters after a six or seven year absence, Is Rey really the character to lead the charge? I say this as somebody who appreciates the character of Rey and loved The Force Awakens and the potential it offered with the new characters. But is the story they have, currently in draft form, worth pinning a franchise on one actress and spending hundreds of millions of dollars in an effort to entice a skeptical and disillusioned fanbase? On January 9th, Lucasfilm added another live-action film to its slate. Titled The Mandalorian and Grogu, it will continue the story in the Disney Plus series and will go into production this year. The image accompanying the press release was a generic depiction of The Mandalorian and Grogu flying away from an exploding ship. The release gave fans nothing of substance about the film or why Lucasfilm had decided to take this particular story to the big screen. And after an uneven and forgettable third season, the response on the part of the fans to the announcement was largely indifferent. It didn't capture the attention of the fan base like it would have a few years earlier. Again, I'm not basing this on my opinion of the previous season, but on how I've seen the larger fan base react to the series. And the timing of the announcement felt really strange. With the Mandalorian being Disney's most popular property during the pandemic era, it's puzzling that the intent to make a Mandalorian film wasn't in production sooner. And why would Lucasfilm announce three titles last May, and hastily add this one eight months later, in a seemingly haphazard manner? Looking at the company through an optimistic lens, we know that Dave Filoni was promoted to Chief Creative Officer in November. In this position, he will be involved in the early development of the films and series, where in his former role, he was more of a consultant on the projects once they were greenlit. Filoni is a fan like all of us. He studied under the master George Lucas. And if he had a say in elevating The Mandalorian to the silver screen, then we have to hope that he and director Jon Favreau have a solid story and a solid plan. But if you're looking at the hazy cloud of potential Star Wars films and are feeling frustrated and indifferent, know that there are many like you right now. If you're questioning the competency of a major media company, you're in good company. And if you're simply hoping for a good story with memorable characters, you're not alone. 2024 will be a year without a major Star Wars convention. At last year's Star Wars Celebration London, Lucasfilm announced the next event would be held in Japan in 2025. Celebration has been a hub for Star Wars fans in a way that no other convention, including Comic-Con, can compare. The main draw is being immersed in the Star Wars universe for days, meeting actors and creatives from the franchise, attending panels showcasing upcoming projects and honoring previous ones, and all of the wonderful and exciting surprises that come from an event like Celebration. And the best part is experiencing once-in-a-lifetime moments in the company of friends and fellow fans and Celebration has served as a destination for Star Wars collectors from all around the world to gather together. Collector-centric panels hosted by our peers, exhilarating room sales offering the rarest and most special figures and memorabilia, and the collector meals and late-night hangouts play a role in making each Celebration a reason to attend the next one. The lack of a celebration or a scheduled international collector's event, which is a private event and usually happens every couple of years, means that we as a collecting community need to draw our own roadmap for 2024. We have the chance to be creative, planning meetups around smaller established events like toy shows or Star Wars-related activities. The best example of this is the Georgia Alliance of Star Wars Collectors' Rogue Fun Weekend. If you've listened to any of the podcast episodes about the New York annual events, Rogue Fun is essentially a southern extension of that event. More than 100 collectors from various states and countries will be traveling to Georgia for a long weekend to visit friends' collections and to be a part of a day-long gathering whose highlights include panels from former Nirvana and Kenner employees and other collectors. Tickets were limited to 110 people for the event and sold out within the first few hours. For many of us, this is our 2024 celebration. And the chance to be with friends again, especially with those who live far from us, is a blessing. And there will be other events headed by other clubs and in other areas of the Star Wars world. The Virtual Cantina, a group based out of Facebook's largest celebration group, is hosting a meet-up at Disneyland in July, where Star Wars fans can tour Batuu together and spend a day in Walt's beloved park. The Imperial Commissary is hosting its annual ICC convention in Nashville in October, which draws a healthy mix of vintage collectors, as well as familiar faces from the Star Wars films and series. And our Ontario friends will likely host another May the North event, a Canadian Star Wars convention featuring creatives from Kenner, Irwin Toys, and Nelvana Animation. And if you aren't able to make it out to Rogue Fun, or to any of the other events I mentioned, fear not. I expect collectors will come up with ways to get together around more of the local shows. My hope is that the lack of a celebration and the desire to be in the same room with other collectors will equate to more of our friends traveling to toy shows and turning them into weekend-long hangouts. I would love to see more local club members take charge of these opportunities and organize meetups around these moments. If I had to make a prediction, I think more collectors will consider hosting meetups at their homes this year. And I think more Star Wars fans will step outside of their respective comfort zones in pursuit of building deeper connections around those in the community and in the various Star Wars hobbies. As exciting as something like Celebration is, some of the best moments I've ever had as a collector and as a Star Wars fan were in the company of people I've met in the hobby and now call dear friends. And whether it's at a restaurant At a friend's home, or at a show, it's the type of moment that stays with us forever. So remember, you have the ability to shape these events and collector moments, especially in a year without a celebration. When it comes to new content on Disney+, 2024 will be a year without a familiar live-action series. The next chapters of The Mandalorian and Ahsoka are in production, and Season 2 of Andor has been pushed back to 2025. On the animation side, we're seeing the return of two series. The Bad Batch will begin its third and final season with a three-episode premiere on Wednesday, February 21st. And will conclude on May 1st. Tales of the Jedi's second season will likely premiere in the summer or fall of this year, but no release date has been set. Two new live-action series are also slated to debut this year. But like with all Lucasfilm projects, until we get an official release date and trailer, neither can be viewed as a definite. The first is The Acolyte. Taking place at the end of the High Republic era and approximately 100 years before the Clone Wars, it will be the first time this era is explored on screen. According to an early description on the official Star Wars website, The Acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. The second live-action series, Skeleton Crew, has been described as a coming-of-age story set in space. Think of it as Lucasfilm's version of The Goonies or Stranger Things. It has been described as a show about children, but with more adult or darker themes. The initial synopsis reads, In the first episode of The Skeleton Crew, we are introduced to four kids who make a mysterious discovery on their seemingly safe home planet and get lost in a strange and dangerous galaxy. Finding their way home, meeting unlikely allies and enemies, will be a greater adventure than they ever imagined. Skeleton Crew was originally slated to air at the end of 2023, but the latest rumor is that it will come out in the fall or winter of this year. The writer's strike certainly had an effect on Lucasfilm's production slate. As I mentioned earlier, Andor was supposed to be released this year, but the strike halted production and the team opted to wait it out and to finish the second season as they had envisioned it. Lucasfilm has been very tight-lipped about the Acolyte and Skeleton crew. A trailer for each was shown at Celebration London, but neither was made public outside of the event. This is somewhat concerning, but it could be due to the release date being pushed back internally and not wanting to promote something that won't be arriving for a while. A bigger concern, especially for Lucasfilm, is if both new series are disappointing. Disney has had a really poor track record as of late, with box office blunders like the final Indiana Jones film, the animated feature Wish, and the Marvels, and a number of Disney Plus series struggling to find an audience. With nothing familiar on which to fall back, the Acolyte and Skeleton crew are shouldering some heavy expectations this year. If the shows are merely forgettable, it will be much harder to convince fans to continue watching future Star Wars projects. However, if either of the series is divisive or is viewed as negatively impactful to the franchise, expect another civil war within the fan base. The failure of the Acolyte and Skeleton crew would confirm for many that Lucasfilm is heading in the wrong direction and 2024 could serve as a breaking point for what fans will accept from the current leadership team. Having said all of that, I think both new concepts are intriguing and are fresh ideas within the realm of Star Wars. My hope is that they inject new life into the franchise and bring in new audiences. Now, it is solely in the hands of Lucasfilm to make them worthwhile experiences. On January 23rd, Hasbro revealed the first of this year's toy releases for the Star Wars line in a live fan stream. The announcements were largely uninspiring, and the collecting website Yakface labeled the event a mediocre fan stream of retools, repacks, refreshes, or whatever other corporate jargon you'd like to employ. Jason, the collector who runs Yakface, posted the following note to social media later that day. He said, I have a lot of thoughts regarding today's Star Wars fan stream. I'm torn. Do I care too much about the direction of the brand? Or is it time to let go? And although Vintage Collection fans have voiced their long-running and valid frustrations about the brand for a while, Jason's note really caught my attention. It wasn't merely venting a sense of disappointment with a particular release or the usual complaints collectors have with Hasbro and its leadership team. Instead, it echoed the question that has been bubbling under the surface for a while among many in the community. Is collecting modern Star Wars figures worth the time, money, and energy anymore? For years, Jason's site has been a reliable and solid source for news about the collectibles. And the same goes for pages like Bantha Skull and Galactic Figures and the other resources fans visit on a daily basis. Each site has shared leaks and breaking news, analyzed the impacts of certain announcements and releases, and has provided a steady overview of the hobby in its own way. Together, they highlight what makes collecting worthwhile, the anticipation, the details, the resultant conversations. And in their own ways, each tells the story of the relationship between a toy company and its consumers. And to go back to the fan stream for a moment, Hasbro had lowered expectations for this first event, as there would be few announcements accompanying it. And the reason for this, according to Chris from Banth may be due to the Hollywood strikes pushing back the release dates for many of the planned live-action series. And if a series is delayed, toy releases will be delayed as well. Right now, the relationship between Hasbro and its collectors is off-track. It's been that way for a while, and I know Hasbro is working on repairing it. In my History of HasLab episodes, I've stressed the importance of cultivating and maintaining this relationship. If a company like Hasbro wants people to buy its products, its customer base needs to feel like the toys are worthwhile purchases. They have to demonstrate value at their price points. Consumers want to feel heard, and that a company is listening to a fan base. Hasbro has done this at times, releasing figures of fan-requested characters, or moving the warning label on a card back that was previously obscuring some of the iconic Star Wars art. And fans have reciprocated by being vocal about the types of items they wish to see made in toy form. Lately, however, I've been seeing more and more collectors selling off their Black Series and Vintage Collection runs. And I think it comes down to four factors. Number one, the cost. The price of a basic vintage collection figure was $12.99 in 2019. In four years, the price has risen by 30% and sits at $16.99 for a three three three-quarter inch figure. Black Series 6-inch figures sold for $19.99 in 2019. Today, they cost $24.99, an increase of 25%. While inflation has had an effect on almost everything, many collectors simply feel priced out of the hobby and the price per figure is at a point that many are having trouble justifying. Number 2. The Quality To put it simply, collectors will not continue to purchase items they feel are cheaply made, hastily designed, or show signs of shortcuts being taken. The McFarlane figures of the 1990s and early 2000s skyrocketed in popularity because they felt like premium figures and the Vintage Collection and the Black Series have always been marketed as elite versions of the Star Wars characters we know and love. If the quality isn't consistent or noticeable, the consumer base will quickly fade. Number 3. Repacks and Repaints While it is understandable for Hasbro to reissue figures or to reuse parts to make others, a steady stream of these familiar releases has turned off many collectors. They've been prominent parts of the Hasbro reveals over the past few years, and they feel more like money grabs than fresh products. Number 4. The Content While fans appreciate receiving new characters introduced to the lines, it appears that fewer adult collectors are connecting with many of the Disney Plus series. The Mandalorian has been the most popular, although there is a sense of collector fatigue forming from seeing another version of Din Djarin or Grogu hitting store shelves. Balin Skull and Shin Hati have been fan favorites from the Ahsoka series and are currently popular among Black Series collectors, but I don't know how deeply the overall series resonates. Is there truly a large demand for figures from Andor or the Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries? If the content isn't resonating, the figures will be destined for the bargain bin. I believe the team at Hasbro wants to have the best possible relationship with collectors, and not just to increase sales. I've heard many of them speak and share their passion for Star Wars and the toys over the years, and it's nice to know there are people like us in the Hasbro offices. The company has made a few leadership changes in recent weeks, promoting Steve Evans to Hasbro's Design Director of Fan Product for Marvel and Star Wars brands, and Vicki Stratford to Senior Design Director of Product Design. And the former Global Marketing Director for Star Wars, Patrick Schneider, is shifting to focus on Hasbro's Nerf brand. Over the past year, Hasbro has laid off approximately 30% of its workforce due to weak toy sales, the impact of inflation, and continued headwinds carrying into 2024. Star Wars is one of the most popular franchises in the world, and Lucasfilm and Hasbro need to work together to figure out how to appeal to fans in the current economic and financial climate and how to continue the excitement that collecting Star Wars figures has had for generations of fans over the decades. Two days after Jason posted his note of frustration to his Yakface account on social media, in which he questioned whether it was worth caring about the direction of the brand, he shared a brief message about his approach for the future. It consisted of three points, serving as a reminder to himself and his fellow collectors, and as a thoughtful warning to Hasbro. Jason wrote, number one, buy what you like, pass on what you don't. Number two, natural selection will weed out things that are not successful. Truly successful toy lines endure because of character selection, quality, and value. Faltering in any one of those three areas can lead to apathy and spending our shrinking dollars elsewhere. Number three, Don't take the hobby so seriously as to where it's not fun and more of a chore. And regardless of what you collect, whether it's vintage or modern, Kenner or Hasbro items, prototypes or production pieces, Star Wars or any other line in the galaxy, these are great points to keep in mind. It's always healthy to question why you collect something, and what makes it worthy of your time, money, and passion. We are now more than a year beyond the post-pandemic era collecting frenzy, and so much has changed for Star Wars collectors. Most of the general audience has migrated to other interests. This group consisted of speculators and investors who saw Star Wars collectibles as the next hot market. It also included some who were looking to connect with the toys of their childhood, or wanted to pass the time spent in quarantine. And whether it was the dwindling values and available buyers, or shifting interests after personally completing a desired run, or just moving away from the rhythms of pandemic life, this general group has largely disappeared, and the hobby has settled down once again. And in many ways, collecting is back in the hands of collectors again. In a way, it feels like a return to the pre-pandemic years— But after three years riding the collecting hype, and last year's hangover period, many collectors are now asking questions similar to the ones they asked themselves when the pandemic first began. A lot of these questions are philosophical ones, and center around the role collecting plays in each of our lives. Over the past year, many have asked themselves, what is the purpose of collecting Star Wars items? What does Star Wars mean to me? Why do I continue with it? What is my goal? Where does collecting fit into my life? Is it a healthy aspect, or does it have some negative effects on me? What is my role within the collecting community? Am I building meaningful relationships with other collectors? Is this a good use of my time? And is collecting bringing me the peace and joy a hobby is meant to provide? these are just some of the questions that our fellow collectors have shared with me in conversations over the past year or so. And I think these considerations are positive steps in our respective collecting journeys. They help to move us to where we need to be in life, and they give us a chance to reflect on how collecting and our fandom has defined us. Zooming out a bit, I think 2024 will be a more enjoyable year for collecting. No longer burdened by the hype of the collectibles market of the past few years, and with interest and values dipping to pre-pandemic levels, most collectors will remain in the hobby for two reasons—the love of collecting, and the love of connecting. It's truly hard to gauge the temperature of an entire community, because there are so many aspects to it. But as I've mentioned earlier, we have the ability to define 2024 from a collecting perspective— And what I've seen lately has given me hope. The 12-back group and the Vintage Star Wars Action Figures page, two of the older and more prominent Star Wars collecting groups on Facebook, have recently experienced surges in activity. The Vintage Star Wars Action Figure page has become an intersection where newer and established collectors congregate. And the admin team behind the 12-back group are focused on returning to the elements that made it a hub around the start of the Disney era of Star Wars. Daily collector discussions have moved away from the drama and gossip found in any community, and instead highlight sharing information and learning together, while also talking about collecting from different perspectives. The admins have also instituted live stream conversations with collectors and tours of their fascinating displays, giving us a chance to get to know others within our community and to learn how and why they collect. Beginning this week, the Kivecast podcast has returned, after a long absence. For many, including myself, the Kivecast played an important role in educating us about the history of Star Wars and the toys. It played an arguably bigger role in introducing us to other collectors who shared our passion for the collectibles. This resurgence may be a temporary flash that simply marks the beginning of another year in our collecting stories but it could be a longer-term return to the heart of collecting, once again capturing some of the magic that welcomes so many of us when we enter the hobby. This is also really the first time in a decade in which I've heard so many collectors speaking about selling off items and thinning down their focus areas. Collecting during the pandemic gave all of us a chance to do this, but with so many collectors filtering their collections, incredible pieces surfaced for us to purchase instead. So in a sense, we cleaned out areas of our displays in order to refill them with other collectibles. This year, it seems that collectors are cutting back. Some are choosing quality over quantity. Others are trying to unburden themselves, shoveling off the weight that owning so many things can often bring. Some are selling all of their Black Series items, or all of their vintage collection figures, or for the vintage Focus collectors, the memorabilia that no longer fits. It's happening in a more defined and more pronounced way. And I think it works. Collecting feels quieter now. Does it feel that way to you? I'm seeing more people making an attempt to be a part of the conversations online and in person. And there's a sense now, in these winter months, that more people have realized that this community is something special. They're not taking it for granted and they're trying to play a more active role in keeping it going. None of us can say how long the franchise and the fandom will last. But what I see gives me hope. And I'm so thankful for the moments I've had as a Star Wars collector so far, and for the friendships that have formed over these years. If I had to leave you with a little Yoda-like wisdom, I'd recommend using these early months to figure out what being a Star Wars fan and a collector means to you. If you're part of a group that feels like a community, but likely exists for someone to sell you something, it may not be as real or as connective as it should be. Seek out good, honest collectors. Surround yourself with people who are just as happy to know you as you are to know them. Build up those around you because everyone has their own sets of issues and insecurities, and everyone is dealing with something at the moment. And could use a friend. Think about this. Are you a positive force within your community? Are your words helpful and encouraging? Or are they hurtful, or harmful, or negative towards others? Are you someone others can trust? And what can you do to make an impact? And finally, this year I'd recommend attending as many in-person meetups and events as possible. Yesterday was the four-year anniversary of a meetup at Ross Barr's home in 2020. It was an Empire State Club meetup meant to kick off 2020 in the best possible way. And it was to be the first of many opportunities for all of us to be in the same room together over the next 12 months. But once the pandemic hit, it changed everything. And I cannot tell you what being at that meetup meant to me in the following months. When I was at my lowest, when it felt like the world had changed forever, I would ride my bike around my neighborhood for long stretches of time, listening to the podcast episode I recorded from that day. Hearing the conversations again, with more than 50 of us laughing and making the most of a Saturday afternoon together, kept hope burning that more days like that were waiting for us on the other side of the quarantine. And in those months and years since the world shut down, our friends and fellow collectors did so much to keep us all connected. They hosted virtual meetups where we could at least see one another and laugh together again. They helped us keep our sanity and made moments feel normal, even when they weren't. They kept the collector conversations going, regardless of how far apart we actually were they found fun and creative ways to remind us how blessed we are and what we have in one another. And when the world finally opened up again, they found any excuse to be together in the same room as many times as time would allow. And in a year in which the Lucasfilm release slate is uncertain and Hasbro is frustrating and we have to wait until 2025 for the next celebration event, 2024 is shaping up to be our year to make our own mark. We will decide its success and how memorable and wonderful it will be. And it starts with you and me. And it will really take all of us. So that is a very brief and general overview of the state of Star Wars and collecting. We have so much to explore together this year on Star Wars Prototypes and production.